Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Hayward Evans is vacationing in uh, Europe, and uh, as Eric said earlier, <laughs> he hopes he can get back. So uh, uh, I know one thing, uh, this uh, virus has me at home today. I just have a, a sniffle, but I'm not going to take any chances. Uh, we have a number of people going to be talking with today. Uh, before we even go to our first guest, I want to let you know that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office with Leslie Jones as the director, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office with Liz Alzier at the helm, the Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, Concourse Concessions, out of SeaTac. I know the business is slow, but that's with David Fukuhara and SeaTac Bar Group LLC with the two Desert Storm veterans, Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsitt. And Stephanie Ogle, Solstice Media, does our uh, technology and maintains our website, which is at urbanformnw.com to hear uh, archived programs as well as other relevant information. As we wait for Dr. Michelle Terry to get back with us, she's uh, out at Children's Hospital doing her work. And, uh, Eric, I don't know, do we have her back yet? Okay. So uh, I also want to give a shout-out to... Uh, the folks in the legislature, the session is just about over, and uh, we're trying to hook up with the representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. We know that they have like one more day, and uh, I must give uh, Representative Eric Pettigrew a shout out because he has had a couple of bills that have uh, headed for the governor's desk, and one is that to increase social equity in the cannabis industry. And uh, Eric, congratulations for that. That's headed towards uh, Governor Jay Inslee's office. And also, I've, I've been involved with uh, a couple of uh, Indian scientists uh, who might have a cure uh, for a vaccine for uh, the uh, COVID-19, also known as the, uh, uh, the, the virus is keeping everybody at bay and killing a lot of people and infecting a lot of people. But my first guest, uh, Dr. Michelle Terry, is on the line with us. She's an experienced clinician, an educator, an advocate, and a former regulator. Uh, she is at a Children's Hospital right now. She has uh, been a professor uh, of pediatrics, teaching classes at the University of Washington School of Medicine. She uh, also, from uh, 2012 to 2017, she was appointed by two governors to the Washington State Medical Quality Assurance Commission, and uh, outstanding person. She received a B in human biology from Stanford University. A doctorate uh, MD from Baylor College of Medicine, and uh, did her residency in pediatrics at the University of Washington. So, Dr. Terry, uh, outstanding contributions you've made to uh, the medical profession. Now, I'll ask one question: Can you uh, develop a virus to cure this this, this virus? A vaccine to prevent against the virus yeah, yeah, or, a vaccine, yeah. or a treatment for the disease? Unfortunately, no. I mean, some very innovative uh, scientists are hard at work around the world trying to figure this out. However, there is no uh, medicine to cure this disease, and there is no vaccine to, present this, to prevent this disease as of yet. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You're right. I'll tell you what. I wanted to ask you that question because this is on everybody's mind. But why don't you just take a couple of minutes and just talk a little bit about your background, what you've been able to accomplish, so that would set in our listeners' minds exactly uh, the quality of uh, background that you have. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm delighted to participate. Currently, I am working at the hospital, and you know, a lot of things are changing minute by minute. But personally, I'm a pediatrician. I'm a general pediatrician. When I finished my uh, college, medical school, and residency, I had a private practice in one of the uh, Swedish hospital professional buildings, the Heath Building, right on um, First Hill, and I had the uh, privilege to take care of many uh, children, and I am so grateful that their families entrusted me with their care. Um, About 10 years into my career, I transitioned to the University of Washington, where I worked in both the outpatient and now the inpatient uh, setting at Seattle Children's Hospital. I've also had the opportunity to teach some courses at the School of Medicine, mentor medical students and uh, participate in various committees that advance um, the uh, education of medical students. And what is, uh, uh, you know, I know years ago, I remember uh, Dr. John Vassell and a few others that were in the medical school right now, what does uh, the uh, African-American population look like in the University School of uh, Washington School of Medicine. I don't know if you know that, but I was just curious since you've been affiliated. There are not that many. There are not that many African-American students at the University of Washington School of Medicine. Um, The uh, University of Washington Medical School is a regional medical school, so it's branded as the University of Washington. However, they have six sites over five states. You might have heard the word whammy, which stands for Washington, Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. So there's an allegiance amongst those five whammy states to uh, educate physicians for the region. There's University of Washington also has a site in uh, Spokane. So there are two sites in um, Washington, Seattle, and Spokane. Um, I'd say in Seattle, I'm, you know, I can't quote me exactly, but there's probably half a dozen African American students in the uh, first um, year class, and maybe about that number in the second year class. Um, you know, they we count underrepresented in medicine as a group because in from year to year, there might be only a couple. So we count the uh, African-American students, the Latinx students, the Native American students, and the uh, students who have Pacific Islander heritage as populations that are underrepresented in medicine. And so when we see the statistics, it's usually all of those groups together. So it might, like, look like it's, you know, decent um, in terms of, you know, 27, 30 percent. However, Individually, there are very few numbers. Yeah, well, that's my my concern because, uh, you know, I think back to the civil rights struggle. You know, uh, the only people who had to sit in the back of the bus was black people. Okay, mm-hmm. so I just have to be very serious about that. And the only people that had been here 400 years and built this joint for free. So I mean, I'm, I don't have anything against any other ethnic group, but I refuse to let anybody forget our 400 years in this country and how much we contributed to it, like it's like some people like uh, Senator Mitch McConnell said, well, we can't talk about appropriations because slavery happened a long time ago, and we all, we all know a lot of people got their wealth through that 250 years of free labor, so, you know, and if we'd have got the 40 acres on the mule, we might be owning a university or two right now in Seattle, so. 
Right, right. There's, many there's, ways to look there's, at a, it. there's a lot of racism. There's a lot of racism in medicine, and it affects the way that patients are uh, cared for and the disparity of outcomes. You know, it's 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 a double-edged sword. Meaning, one, you know, race is a social construct. There's not a biological basis for race. You know, in terms of, you know, if we look at the genome of the human race, you know, the characteristics that you know. Uh, encouraged skin color or hair texture or eye color are very uh, are indistinguishable. However, the way that the outward appearance, the phenotype of an individual affects the way uh, he or she moves through society and is given opportunities or more likely denied opportunities has everything to do with race. And um, and so it's um, there's a lot of studies that are going on trying to think about ways we can you know improve the education system for all students, um, meaning that students have opportunities to uh, sh- you know share their gifts and develop their knowledge so that they can you know become physicians, they can become computer scientists, they can become um, you know teachers for the next generation, all sorts of opportunities. I was a little bit late logging on because I heard that um, uh, Governor Inslee just uh, made a pronouncement that all schools in Pierce, uh, King, and Snohomish counties will close until April 24th. So as a healthcare professional, many of the you know, we're very busy at the hospital, So, but many um, of our professionals have families. So they're thinking, what am I going to do for the next six weeks? That's right. That's when they right. have school-age children. Um, and it's it brings up, um, you know, it says, well, you know, it's one thing to close schools, but it's another thing. It's like, well, people will congregate at other places. Are people just not supposed to go to work and um, not earn a wage? Are people supposed to leave their children unsupervised and and rest? Yeah. Uh, And then you think about all the people who are not going to get paid, like uh, the restaurants are bare. Right. Uh, I know Uber and Lyft are not going anywhere, and a lot of these folks don't have sick leave, and if they don't go to work, they don't get paid, and what's going to end up happening is a lot of people, because of their need for the, the money to sustain their families, they're going to end up going to work and, and not being tested. We don't have the testing. So they're going to end up going to work infecting other people if they have it without knowing. Right. So that's, uh, you know, that's uh, really a catch-22. And that's the insidious nature of this disease, meaning things are evolving very quickly. Um, however, for most people, when they catch the disease, it will you know, coronavirus, and I don't think, I think we're beyond containment right now. I think it's going to be a part of our ecosystem. A lot of people have it. They don't know that they have it. They're mildly ill. They have a dry cough. They might feel, you know, not 100% but aren't too sick. However, they're transmitting it to um, potentially people who have weakened immune systems, who have uh, chronic diseases, who are above the age of 60 who have diabetes who are or or women who are pregnant and if um if those special populations contract coronavirus um then they would become potentially a lot more ill and um so ill that the hospitals might not be able to provide care for a large number of people all at the same time 
I've been following what's been happening in Italy, where they have a widespread um, illness um, affecting um, people, and they come to the hospital, and the healthcare personnel are having to, you know, make really challenging choices, you know, regarding, you know, how they distribute their medical care. And Italy is not a third world country. Italy is, you know, a vacation destination. It has a lot of history. And I think, you know, for people thinking, well, if it's just a a bad cold for most people, why are we going into all of these um, crisis mode that I've never seen in in my life as a physician? Um, And they say, well, you know, it's like you've never seen, you know, kind of people not be able to get medical care. And so if there are a bunch of sick people with coronavirus, you know, people are still having the diseases that bring them to the hospital on a regular basis. You know, people are having chest pain, people are having strokes, people are need diabetes management, and people, you know, have, you know, accidents. They fall off their bicycle or they're in a, you know, automobile accident. And if the hospitals are overwhelmed with um, coronavirus patients, they can't take care of the people who just get sick per, you know, their routine illnesses or accidents. So it's it's a big deal. And I think the other, um, you know, unfortunate part of this situation is that, you know, we knew it was coming at some point, meaning we, we you know, there are epidemiologists have studied pandemics and other parts of the world. And America has always felt that they were protected because of its robust um, economy because of its robust, um, uh, because we have clean water in most locations in the country. We have clean air. We have access to medical care, some better than others, but everyone has some access to medical care. And there was not an investment in public health or surveillance to kind of get everyone prepared for when the epidemic came. And, um, and now we're seeing what happens. You know, everyone is potentially um, vulnerable to the virus. Well, you know, in, uh, when uh, the president, Donald Trump, came in office, he started cutting a lot of these uh, uh, medical, uh, like in other countries where they have uh, epidemics, mm-hmm. we had an investment and was doing joint ventures mm-hmm. with folks in Africa and around the world to prevent any disease stopping it there rather than having it come here. So, you know, all this was cut out. And uh, as you say, we are woefully unprepared to deal with a pandemic of this nature. As a matter of fact, it looks like the world, whole entire world is having a problem. But uh, right. hopefully uh, someone can come up with a vaccine or a cure. Uh, I'm working with a couple of Indian scientists, and they have a proposal. I'm going to be putting forth to some folks in Congress mm-hmm. because that right now it's up to them to protect uh, the people of the country. And uh, so we do have some people in place, like Congressman Benny Thompson, chair of the Homeland Security Committee, the chair of uh, Congressional Black Caucus, uh, Karen Bass, is also has a medical background. And I'm not going to be sending this package to Governor Jay Inslee through uh, his aide, Rochelle Davis. But, uh, Dr. Uh, Michelle, I want to thank you very much for your time today and for the knowledge you have. And we definitely got to have you back on on a uh, regular basis so you can – talk more about uh, the work you're doing with, with the young ones. Oh, I, so I want to thank that. you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It was delightful. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Bye. All right. Uh, our next guest is uh, 
Tamika Mosley, an herbalist, and uh, she has some ideas, and she's been doing a lot of wonderful things with people with sickle cell, uh, people that have cancer, who, and she's been doing some wonderful things. So, Tamika Mosley, why don't you go ahead and let our listeners know you've been on before, but give them a little bit about your background and what you do. Thank you, Eddie. Yes, my name is Tamika Mosley. I'm the founder of Everything Health. Uh, I'm a U.S. veteran, published author of two books. My latest book was just published last month called Healing from God's Medicine Cabinet. And I'm a health and wellness consultant and started my journey 10 years ago when I had a child born with a fatal blood disease called sickle cell, in which he has not had any crises in the last 10 years. So my passion is educating people on how not to die from chronic conditions. And here lately, I've been giving a lot of talks on how to stay healthy and keep the body healthy while all this coronavirus is scaring people. So well, I want to know, uh, first of all, what did you do to cure sickle cell anemia? Well, it's not a cure. Let me just rephrase that. So my son, if he's tested, he'll still have SS. But okay. it's manageable. So I found herbs, plant-based foods that keeps the body naturally producing red blood cells because in sickle cells, the blood cells dies off every 10 to 20 days. And they have abnormal hemoglobin, so that's the reason why there's a lot of death, chronic pain, strokes, and or and, uh, and uh, organ damage. But uh, I found Evenflow. Evenflow is a natural supplement that consists of 11 herbs, enzymes, and minerals, and that's what my son has been taking for the past six years. And since we've been in Seattle, he has not taken anything, but. The herb is very healing. It keeps the body producing healthy red blood cells. And now people all over the world, in Africa, Canada, the U.K., the U.S., Madagascar, using Evenflow, and they're having the same exact results. And so you also speak uh, regularly. I know we were on a, one event that the Fathers and Sons together had an event yes. a few months ago, and uh, yes. Larry and Kathy Wilmore organized it. The mayor was there. She was listen to you very attentively, and right. uh, you, you did a presentation there. You uh, you speak frequently. Why don't you share with our listeners some of the places where you've been a presenter? Um, I speak pretty much uh, all over the place. So uh, I'll be speaking in uh, Sacramento, California, at uh, the sister Sacramento Sister Network, Network Group. It's a group of 7,000 African-American women. I'll be speaking there May the 2nd. Uh, I, I speak at the Washington House in the, in the Central District quite often. I'm going to be there again May 17th during their garden party. I'll be giving away one of my books that I just uh, published, Healing from God's Medicine Cabinet. Uh, I will be, uh, be flying to Monroe, Louisiana in July, also speaking about health and healing and the coronavirus and ways we can protect ourselves there. And uh, I, I do a lot of speaking here in, in the Seattle area. It's just, you know, whenever someone wants me to come out, whenever someone wants me to speak. Last weekend, I spoke at Mount Zion Marketplace. Uh, was selling my books and just educating again on health and educating on steps that we can take to protect the body from the coronavirus. So those now, You just places. mentioned Mount Zion. I just got a note from Yvonne Carr that there will not be a service at Mount Zion this Sunday. I don't know when oh, the wow. last time. Yeah, so there, not, there will be no service on Sunday. At Mount Zion, wow. and I guess, I guess everything else is, clo- is collapsing and closing down. So yeah. I'm certainly yeah. hoping that you know. We, well, I guess the only thing to do is keep it away from everybody. If you don't, if you don't have enough kits to test people, you don't know who has it. And since you don't have any have these symptoms right away, I, mean, I had a sniffle 
yeah. and I checked with my doctor, and he said, "Why don't you stand for a few days?" Because <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, if you and then when I they uh, took my blood pressure, my pulse, and stuff, I was fit as an athlete. But at the same okay. time, I'm not taking any chances. <laughs> right. So Eddie, so here's the thing, right? If you do nothing, that's not a smart thing to do nothing. So mm-hmm. what I teach people to do, first thing, we have to heal our gut. And and everybody, I know everybody has heard of this at some point in their life. All disease, majority of disease and sickness starts in the gut. Hippocrates also stated this. There's been several studies to prove that when you have poor gut, it, it's linked to all types of illnesses and sickness. 80% of our immune system is found in our gut. So if we're walking around with poor gut health, that's going to open the door to so many different sickness and illnesses. So the first thing that I tell my followers to do is make sure to take a really good probiotic. Like I'm taking 100 billion right now. And probiotics is going to keep the good bacteria inside the gut. And, 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 and this is so crucial. It's so critical. And doctors So you're know saying this, this probiotic, explain that one more time. That probiotic. takes care of all the, the nasty stuff and germs in your, in your exactly. stomach? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So we walk around daily, and we come in contact with so many toxins, so many chemicals, so many synthetic drugs. You know, there's so many things that the, the, the food is toxic, everything. The water we shower in is toxic. So our gut is, is being affected. And in order to put the good bacteria in our gut, we have to eat, like, fermented foods like sauerkraut, you know, you can you can go that route. But for me, I just go to the store and buy probiotics. You can go to your health store and purchase probiotics out of the refrigerated section, and you just start taking it. But this is going to build and boost the good bacteria inside your gut. Okay? And see, well, you just talked me into buying some. <laughs> okay. what, do you, what do you recommend? Uh, I, well, I, I recommend Dr. Formulated by Garden of Life. That's a uh, that's a, a good brand, and also raw R A W. That's also a great brand. And you want to make sure you okay. get it out of the refrigerator section. Okay, now, I'm not going to grab something that's cost fifty or sixty dollars. Then, man, what is it? What is well, it? How's the price? Mean, now, now probiotics is probably going to run you anywhere between like thirty-five, forty-five dollars. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted my listeners to know. I want them to grab <laughs> a handful, get to the but, get to the cash register, and say, "What is going on here?" <laughs> So I but, heard you know, it had a little cost to it, so I wanted to make sure that right, my listeners right. had the chance to understand what was happening. Okay. So our immune system is the body's primary protection against diseases, viruses, cancers, diabetes, all of these chronic issues. And it's up to us to make sure that we keep our immune system intact. So they're saying the coronavirus is attacking the respiratory. So we should be making sure, you know, along with the probiotics, we should be taking natural antibiotics. Natural antibiotics is going to boost our immune system. So natural antibiotics that support and protect the respiratory, such as cordyceps, that's C as in Charlie, O-R-D as in dog, Y-C-E-P-S, cordyceps. And cordyceps has been proven in double-blind studies and have shown that for centuries that it, you know, it is used to treat respiratory diseases. So this is something that we should be taking, as well as oregano. Now, everybody know oregano. We know oregano because we season food with it, right? I take it every day, oil of oregano. That's right. That's right. I take there it every, every day. 
Yes, sir. Okay, so oregano has major antibacterial properties, boosts the immune system, it improves digestion, it fights free radical damage, it, it, it prevents against bacteria, fungus, parasites, and more. Even studies published in the Parasitology International suggest that oregano may act as a bioactive to reduce parasites in the body. Okay, so so I'm on I'm on all halfway on the on the good foot then, right? Exactly. You can get some probiotics, okay. sir. <laughs> okay. okay, large dose of vitamin C, and people know this. Vitamin C has been known to help prevent against cancer. Large dose, you know. I we take, can take vitamin C a thousand every day. No, sir. No, sir. You need to be taking like eight to ten thousand. <laughs> Ooh, my goodness. So, okay. Vitamin C is water soluble and it's going to go right through us. Now, you're not going to take 8 to 10,000 every single day for the rest of your life. No, you're, you're just going to take it, take that much, probably like for seven days. And then after that, you can get by taking like 5,000 milligrams a day. Okay. And what this is going to do, you know, uh, Harvard School of Public Health, they said recognized vitamin C could prevent against scurvy. Scurvy was a disease that killed as many as 2 million sailors between the 1500 and 1800s. So vitamin C mm. plays a major role in controlling infection, and powerful, it's a powerful antioxidant that can neutralize harmful free radicals. And I keep wanting to say these studies because, you know, i got to have stuff to back up what I'm saying. A study published in 2017 by PubMed stated vitamin C is an essential micronutrient for humans. It's a potent antioxidant. It contributes to the immune defense by supporting cellular functions of the immune system. It enhances the B and T cells, and it shows to prevent and treat respiratory and systemic infections. So other herbs... Tamika, are you speaking... Uh, I guess crowds can't gather to hear you, though. So do you have stuff I'm, online? Do you have presentations online that, that people who are interested in being healthy can go and view anything that you might have online? Because I don't think a whole bunch of people are going to be gathering in too many places in the very near future. Uh, yeah, so right now I do consultations. Uh, I do have information on my on, on my website that uh, that I'm talking about. I do several YouTube videos. Uh, I'm on social media. Well, give us that information before we have to go. Okay, so my website is www.ssnaturalhealing.com. Okay. Well, Tamika, thank you very much, and... Uh, <laughs> We're going to keep you on here because you have some very good information to pass, transmit to the people. Okay. They're gonna, Thank you so much. And they're going, to have, they're going to be at home to think about it for a few weeks, I think. <laughs> I right. know. They can okay, practice all care. the stuff. They will not be in a hurry to get anywhere because there will be nowhere to go. So thank you right. very much, Tamika. Appreciate, appreciate your participation as always. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Okay, Eric, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Reverend Dr. Robert L. Jeffries, Sr. after the break. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. 
Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. All right now. Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest uh, with uh, Reverend Dr. Robin L. Jeffrey Sr., uh, the senior pastor of New Hope Missionary Baptist Church, founder of the Black Dollar Days Task Force, founder of the Clean Greens Farm and Market, and uh, on a sad occasion, uh, one person's worked very closely with him uh, in about every endeavor that I can remember because I've been uh, involved myself to a degree. Uh, but Reverend Jeffrey... Uh, Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest on this very sad occasion, and I had to, had to have you on to pay a tribute to the late Miss Lottie Cross, a diligent uh, sister warrior lady who was uh, in the struggle on a daily basis and also a leader and also uh, a mentor to many. So, Reverend Jeffrey, why don't you just share your thoughts about uh, Miss Lottie Cross? Well, you know, it's hard to know where to begin. I mean, I met her over 30 years ago. When I first came into the city, I mean, she was a member of the church, and um, she immediately um, bought into uh, the whole idea of economic development, the whole idea of um, the community coming together and and, um, seeking to do something about the economic and social plight that the community was suffering in and has been suffering under many years. Um, she was a hard worker. Uh, she she ran uh, the Doc Holiday task force for the last 15 years. And, um, she, she ran Clean Greens Farm. Um, she kept it going. I mean, she did everything. She planted seeds. She harvested. She was at the farm stand. She set up the farm stands. I mean, she just did it all. I mean, um, she did the business directory, and um, she also helped with, um, as we began to move into housing, and she was an instrumental part of helping us do that. I mean, she was uh, a, a woman for all seasons. She just did anything that she could to better her community. She always believed in the people. She believed that. The people were strong and powerful people, and she did everything she could to help lift the community. Um, she uh, was in on every bull time. She was in on every major decision from the beginning to the end. I just, I will miss her. She was my dear, dear friend. And, um, you know, one of a kind. Yeah, well, I know that uh, I've been in, like I said, virtually every meeting I've attended with the Black Dollar Task Force, she's been there uh, as a a worker and as a leader. And that's what was so impressive to me about Ms. Lottie Cross is that, you know, you could could see her faith by her work, okay? Yeah. And she she wasn't a bragger. I mean, she just... Not at all, not at all. She was a very quiet person. I mean, in the beginning of the Black Dollar days, she was behind the scenes. I mean, she would counsel me, you know, we would counsel and talk every day, but she was not uh, visible. She was not a part of the staff. I mean, um, then as the staff begins to wane, she began to take a more prominent role and to become uh, 
direct of operations for the Black Police Task Force. I remember when we had that um, that Shady at Boeing, um, when we decided to make uh, to go to this to, to Boeing, and and I was going to stay in the Shady for three days. Um, she insisted that uh, her brother be there to look out for me, so she rented a camper. And he lived in the camper for three days. She made him live in the camper for three days uh, and nights to watch out over me. So, I mean, she was an extraordinary. And that was a protest apartheid, right? Yeah. Was yeah. That, wasn't the that a protest of Boeing selling planes in South Africa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she she rented the uh, camper, and, and, and he, sit, he slept in it and stayed in it all while I was in the city to make sure that um, I was protected. I mean, she was. She was a powerful, powerful black woman and um, um, a powerful human being. Um, not just a woman, she was a powerful human being. And, um, you know, you don't meet her, meet her match or meet her uh, equal every day. And she was very smart. Um, every strategic decision that I've ever made was in consultation with her. I mean, it's just a great, great law for me. And so I want to let everybody know, too, you can you can read about Miss Lottie Cross on the front page of this week's Fax uh, newspaper, and it has a, a, a real good article in there. It looks like her daughter's did the article, but it looks an excellent article. And then that mm-hmm. her celebration of life will be on uh, Saturday, and we'll, actually Friday there's going to be a, uh, a wake at uh, – uh, New Hope at uh, is that at 6 p.m. and then Saturday, March 14th at 1 p.m. at New yeah, Hope. Yeah, I want to say something about that. I want to say something about those two events. We've been in consultation with Dr. Lewis, who's the former head of Swedish and Ray Barn Lewis. Ray Barn Lewis, yeah, and with yes. the chief of police about the public health concerns. And um, I think it's important for me to to say what the conclusion of those meetings said that uh, we recommend that people at high risk of severe illness to stay home and away from large groups of people as much as possible, including public places and lots of people with large gatherings. And um, this would include the funeral. People age okay. 60 or over with underlying health conditions, which includes heart disease, lung disease, or diabetes, um, with weakened weakened immune systems and people who are pregnant should probably not come to either event. And but they are going to stream uh, the uh, the memorials. The uh, funeral service will be streamed on uh, yeah. Hello? on the internet. Yeah, they'll be streamed. Uh, they'll be streamed on uh, uh, the internet at NHMBC. That's capital N-H-M-B-C, all those are capital, Seattle, that's capital, dot org. Right. And that information is also on the front page of the Facts Newspaper, too, uh, for yeah, anybody yeah, that, okay. yeah. it'll be that want, want to get that. It'll yeah. Be on, uh, yeah so, but well, I had a, a sinus infection, and since I'm way over the other side of the, the 60-year mark, uh, the, the doctor, I, I, all my vitals were perfect, but he said well, because I have a sinus infection, I need to kind of stay home for three or four days till it goes away. So I'm yeah, gonna take I'm gonna take yeah. take that advice. 
So yeah. while I will not be there on uh, on Saturday, uh, I do want to, my heart goes out to uh, Miss Lottie's daughters and the family, the Black Dollars Task Force family, the Clean Greens, the Market family. And, Doc, I also want to commend you once again uh, for uh, having the foresight to open up, is it uh, five townhomes you built or is it three? We built five townhomes, yeah. Yeah, five, and, uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, uh, just, five, just, uh, five, yeah, so we're working with Yeah, why don't you just uh, talk, take a couple of minutes to talk about that, because that's, even though okay. it's a sad occasion, but it's always good for us to uh, let people know about the progress that's being made in our community, and you've been a stalwart and have uh, really been a uh, trailblazer. So why don't you just take a couple of minutes and share uh, with our listeners about uh, uh, the townhomes. Well, you know, again, um, uh, Ms. Cross and I, we've been, talk- we've been uh, talking this around for a long time, along with the Nisha DeVal-Laven and the New Hope Development Institute group, um, about how do we enter the housing situation and bring our people back into the community. And one of the things we decided was that we needed to start off by creating um, capital so that we wouldn't have to just build housing uh, uh, that uh, was dependent on other people. So we built this, we built five townhouses, which uh, two of them will be sold and three of them will be uh, leased. And we're, work, we're negotiating with the city to make those leases affordable leases for middle-income people so that African Americans could lease those three. Um, we also um, planning to build a 75-unit uh, apartment building across the street um, from uh, New Hope and a 30-unit apartment building for workforce housing uh, for African-American, for most African-American people. We will, we will call the shots because we will own the buildings and um, we will manage the buildings ourselves. So uh, we are, you know, all of this um, work, um, she was involved in. I mean, yeah. I would, we have to spend time. We almost start crying in a minute. That's all right, sir. I know it. I know it's tough. I know it's tough, Doc. I'm sorry. I know she was there side by side. I know, man. I know. You know, you just can't just bless something like this off lightly. As close as you guys were, all the work you did together, and you know that she never was a person that sought the publicity. She just wanted the job to be done and the people to be served, and that's why the community loved her for because of her humble nature. Yeah, she's my friend. Well, Doc, thanks very much, man, uh, for okay. all you're doing for the community and all you've been doing over the decades, and uh, uh, for you know uh, letting Lottie Cross's light shine, even though she wanted to stay in the background. Uh, her work. Uh, catapulted her to the front lines because of the fact she was a worthy and deserving and a dedicated individual. She was the hardest working person I've ever met. She was just just a hard-working, caring person who cared about her people. She sure did. There's no question about it. And I want to extend my condolences to her daughters and her her family. So so thank you very much, Doc, and I'll be in touch so we can work on getting that, that other piece of property back that the city sees in 69 for, yeah, for nickel or dime. And we're going to work on that one now. The city I got to repatriate that, that property back to, to New Hope, okay? Okay, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, then. Thank you very much, Doc. Appreciate Thank it. Uh-huh. Okay. So, Eric, we'll take a, another break and uh, try to see if we can get Clarence Gunn on the line. Yeah. 
Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. Well, all right, Eric. That's very appropriate to spend that interview with uh, Reverend Dr. Robert L. Jeffrey Sr., Senior Pastor of New York Baptist Church, uh, doing a tribute to uh, the hardest working lady that was around. That's Miss Lottie Cross. My next guest is the president of Democrats for Diversity and Inclusion, Mr. Clarence Gunn, and uh, we just had a primary on uh, Tuesday. But you know what, uh, Clarence, I don't know who you were supporting. <laughs> but anyway, how, let me know what kind of impact DDI had on this uh, election for president. Well, um, thanks. Uh, You're not going to take no credit? <laughs> Thanks for reaching out and uh, contacting me about the uh, primary election. Uh, we did spend uh, quite a bit of time in our December and January and February meetings reminding folks about uh, the importance of the primary election, uh, that every vote you know, was important and needed to be counted. And we spent uh, time talking about how to complete the ballot, because unfortunately a lot of people didn't complete their ballot correctly. Uh, declaring their party um, and, and then voting for a candidate under whichever party they, they chose. So a lot of ballots uh, got thrown out, uh, but we spent considerable time talking about that as well as the delegate uh, process uh, for the election of delegates to go on to at the legislative district level, going on to the congressional district where they'll vote for the people that will go to the national convention and uh, also for people that will be going to the uh, state convention. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. In terms of the candidates themselves, uh, there there were uh, attempts to reach out to some of the candidates and find out what their uh, stand was on I-1000 or the new uh, version of it, uh, the reinstating affirmative action in the state of Washington, and we were successful connecting with um, uh, the Sanders campaign. And as a matter of fact, there was a meeting with his campaign and a number of community members, uh, which resulted in um, uh, the campaign, the uh, the campaign to reinstate affirmative action being able to have a table uh, at his event in Tacoma, what was that, February the 17th. So, you know, we made some contacts there. We were not able to connect with uh, the Bloomberg. We we reached out with him and uh, Biden and 
uh, warn campaigns, but did not hear back officially or have any kind of official meeting as such uh, prior to the primary. So yeah, well, um, you won't be hearing from them now, I don't think. <laughs> it's, it's not in there anymore. Know. So uh, yeah. So, uh, but uh, uh, why don't you just take a minute or two and, and uh, give a little background to our listeners about DDI and how people can get information about the organization if they want to be supportive and, and, and join up with you. Okay. Yeah, great. Uh, DDI is the Democrats for Diversity and Inclusion. It was formed in um, 2016 uh, as a result of spending time in various legislative district uh, meetings and looking around the room, and there was just not diversity in the room. Uh, these, the legislative district meetings, the precinct committee officers come to those on a monthly basis, and the people that were in those meetings just were not reflective of uh, the community, uh, whether it be the 37th, which is southeast Seattle, or the 11th, which is Renton, or the 30th, which is Federal Way, or the 47th, which is Auburn. Um, you know, they, they just weren't very reflective of, of those communities. So there was a major move uh, effort to recruit uh, precinct committee officers uh, and to be, you know, to become part of the party, the Democratic Party, and become precinct committee officers and help uh, make sure that the voice of the minority communities is heard on a regular basis at these legislative district meetings. And we were successful. We recruited about 125 uh, precinct committee officers in about a month and a half and had a big affair uh, back in December of 2016. Maxine, Representative Maxine Waters from California came up and uh, spoke and, uh, geez, um, trying to, uh, the attorney general came and, and received an award. And there were several other dignitaries there. So it was a big affair. And since then, we've just been doing grassroots stuff, uh, working uh, with the legislative districts to make sure some of the concerns and issues uh, that a minority communities are have uh, are being addressed. Uh, and we're getting more successful in, in that uh, more minority precinct committee officers are getting elected to the exec board to the interview teams, uh, to leadership uh, uh, forums, whether it's at the local state, local or state level, so uh, or county level. So uh, it's, it's been relatively successful. We're embarking on a membership drive, so thank you. This is perfect timing. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from folks uh, if, if they're interested. Um they're able to go online and look up uh, Democrats for Diversity and Inclusion, and there's a membership form there as well as a phone number uh, to be able to contact. What does the membership cost, $1,000? No, sir. No, sir. Uh, the membership varies. There's a student membership rate. There's a, a senior rate. Uh, there's a founder's rate, you know, for people that really want to be active and involved in it. That's $100. Uh, standard membership is, is just $65. So, you know, less than, you know, what is it, $12 a month, less less than that. So okay. Uh, okay. we'd love for people to become involved. We have been meeting uh, the first uh, Monday of the month, 
Uh, this year we've been lucky to be able to have a relationship with the Washington State uh, Labor Council, meet in their office. But with the with the virus out there, uh, we're we're uh, modifying uh, and coming up with a plan B in terms of how we're going to reach out to our members for our April uh, yeah. meeting. Yeah, well, I just uh, received a note. I noticed early from Yvonne Carr at Mount Zion that uh, the church services are canceled for Sunday. Ah, okay. And, uh, I know that, uh, you know, I was just talking to Reverend Jeffrey right before you came on, and I know Miss Lottie Cross's uh, funeral service will be stripe, streamed live on the Internet, so people with oh. any kind of conditions. And then we had uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Michelle Terry on. Uh, she gave us some real good information. She's a pediatrician out at the... Uh, Seattle Children's Hospital and a professor at the School of Medicine, University of Washington. And then another sister, the herbalist, Tamika Mosley, was on talking about how you could use uh, certain natural things to cure uh, long-term illnesses. So oh, that's okay. been good. Now, in terms of uh, did uh, DDI actually endorse a presidential candidate in Washington State? No, we did not. Okay. So as a rule, no. you guys wouldn't endorse anybody. There's more than one one person running as a Democrat. Does that work? Um, well, I mean, we would have taken you know recommendations to the body, but uh, the the bar- uh, barometer was uh, you know people coming out in full support of the affirmative restoration of affirmative action. And like I said, we only the real response we got from the Sanders campaign was aside from a meeting, uh, was, was the opportunity to table at his uh, event that he had down in Tacoma. So, you know, failing the opportunity to connect okay. with all the other candidates, we just uh, okay. let people vote accordingly. Okay, well, Clarence, I want to thank you, man, and we'll have you back on when we get close to something that's happening when people can get outside in the streets. So, Clarence Gunn, President of Democrats for Diversity and Inclusion in Washington State, thank you very much for your time, dear brother, and we will stay in touch. Yeah, well, it's just an interesting time because uh, 38% of the black yeah. votes in Missouri, and, and I forget yeah. what it was here in the state yeah. of Washington. Okay, we're going to have to check out right now, brother. we got a person on hold, so I want to thank okay. you for your time today. Okay. Uh, no, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We'll keep up. Bye-bye. Okay, we will. Okay, we got a few minutes left. I'm going to talk to uh, Charlie James, a longtime activist in the city, founder of the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Civil Rights Park. And uh, he has had his eye on this virus lately. So, Charlie, how you doing? Doing all right. Okay, we just got a few minutes, but I wanted to get you on to talk about you've been studying uh, this uh, virus pretty closely, uh, and you're a columnist for the Facts newspaper as well. I want to put that out there. What, uh, what exactly is your prognosis? What have you been able to discover, and what is your opinion? I know you're not a doctor, but what is your opinion? Uh, my opinion right now is that you've got a virus that seemed to be uh, attacking a specific person. The virus is not uh, just attacking everybody evenly. It seems to be attacking older white people in particular um, uh, more aggressively than any other particular group in America. And uh, ironically, white males seem to be getting the worst uh, of this virus. Uh, and those are the people hand, that have pre-existing conditions like uh, diabetes, heart, stroke, stuff like that? Yes, 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 yes. The, the, the kind of people who 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 had passed in Kirkland uh, fit that description very well. Okay. Because yeah. uh, um, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to ask you now. You know the Seattle Public Schools are closed down, no tournament, and I, I have to agree with what that was being taken. 
if the actions that are being taken, what do you suggest people do? Well, basically, as, as, as uh, I, I think that you've got the right information out there as far as keeping your hands clean, uh, using bleach or, or alcohol to clean surfaces that you touch. And if you're around a whole lot of people, it probably be a good thing to keep your mouth closed, uh, covered. But um, no one is absolutely sure what is what, what really works and what really does not work. Uh, the good thing, though, for black Americans is that it seems to have not have nearly the impact on us as it has on other people. Right now, I think some like 19 people have been confirmed who are black uh, with the virus, and no one, to my knowledge, who's black has died from the virus anywhere in the world. Um, matter of fact, uh, they're shocked right now to find out that Aspen probably has only six or seven cases of Where's the virus in Africa. The whole country okay. has only six or seven cases of the virus, and at least four or five of those are, are, are white people or or Arabs uh, who have a lot of white blood in them uh, up in the northern part of Africa. So uh, something about this whole thing and black people has not really been fleshed out. I don't know all the answers right now. Uh, but it does seem that it has not been affecting us. Now, on the other hand, uh, our president just had a meeting with the president of uh, Brazil uh, and his top aides, and now the president of Brazil and that aide both have come down with the virus. So, uh, And the president won't get a test. I don't know. He was with them. <laughs> he met with them the last couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, well, I saw that on CNN, and, and he says he refused to get a test because it's not necessary. Yeah, I know, because he don't want to admit it. He will never admit that he has the virus at this stage, and that's dangerous. That's a that very, really is. Very I mean, as they're closing down all the schools and sending people home, I just hope they're able to get resources out uh, before it's too late. But, Charlie, I want to thank you for the time today, man. And uh, as a columnist, we want to keep your opinion on this air, so airwaves. So we'll be back in touch when we talk sure about enough. it again next week. Let's do it. Okay, bro. Okay, and thanks a lot, Charlie James. We appreciate you. No problem. Take care. Okay. Okay, before we check out, uh, I just want to let everybody know that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit Small Business Development and Labor Compliance Office, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Concourse Concessions, and SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. Uh, Stephanie Ogle does our media and uh, we're going to check out, and we hopefully that uh, things will get a little better, and we'll be able to get in next week. We're waiting for Hayward to make sure he and Michelle get back, uh, get back from uh, Europe. They're on a tour, uh, taking a vacation. So, all right, Eric, thanks very much for your time, and uh, I hope to see you next week. If not, we'll be doing the same thing again. So until next week, Eddie Rye, over and out, UrbanForumNorthwest.com. <laughs>